Well, good morning, everyone. Um, we're excited you're here. This is week like, I don't know, 105 maybe, that seems like we've been doing this. And uh, we're excited that you're here, and uh, we're excited that, uh, that you're here to interact with us. It's not so much about what we're doing here, but it's about what you guys are doing out there. That's why we want to encourage you, and there's a few of you that have, that have texted in through the course of the week um, that would like a copy of this book, uh, Experiencing God Daily Devotional. We have like a dozen of them left. And I know there's a couple of you guys that have texted in. We're going to get those to you. But if there's people out there that haven't texted in or haven't let us know, like I said, I think we have like a dozen copies left. So, um, And we want to give them to you. No charge. We want to give them away. They're a great devotional. They're a great read and, uh, and a lot of fun. Something you can do as a couple, something you can do as a family um, or by yourself. Uh, but we want to give those away. That's, that's announcement number one. Announcement number two is, is that we want to let you know that we are uh, fervishly working on a reopen plan. And we're not sure exactly what that's going to look like just yet. Um, and, but we want to know that that's something. There's been many questions, uh, many comments, um, people wanting to know. Um, we're excited to get back to church. We really are. Uh, we're not sure what that's going to look like just yet. And uh, in the process of all that, we've got some real changes around here to the building and particularly the sanctuary that we're excited to uh, get completed and uh, so that when we do reopen, it's all fresh and new. So stay tuned. Uh, keep an eye on our, on our website uh, specifically for those announcements, and we'll be letting you guys know. Okay, we're glad that you're with us, like I said. Um, I have two questions for you as we get started. And, of course, we're in this series called Stronger. Uh, what is it that God uses in our Christian walk to make us stronger believers, that make us stronger followers? Like we said in Joshua 1.9 last week, uh, Joshua says, uh, or God says to Joshua, be strong, be strong. And so how do we be strong? And last year we looked at this idea of, uh, of unity as a strength builder. But before we even get there, I want to put these two questions up on the board today, is that what or who in life has made you stronger? What or who in your life has made you stronger? Uh, is it a life event? Is it a, a, an affliction of some sort? Is it a person, a parent? Is it a sibling? Uh, is it one of your teachers? But what or who in your life has made you a stronger believer. Text that stuff in or comment it in as you're watching Facebook Live here. Uh, we would like to know. We would like to read those things. And, and your responses is what helps us build this online momentum and reach the people around us. The second question is, the second question is, what is a positive, uh, was it a negative or a positive experience? Uh, was it a negative or positive experience? Now, let's all be really, really careful with this, right? Let's be careful. Not too many details, not too many details, but how did God work in your life? How did God move and mold and shape you uh, and get you to the point where you are? Uh, so was it a negative or a positive experience? And sometimes we see those negative uh, experiences in life, and we all experience those, and, uh, and we can look back at the uh, trail of our life, and we see that even those negative experiences uh, have done a lot for us in a positive way. So like I mentioned, we're in this brand new series called Stronger. Uh, we're looking at the many aspects of what it means to be stronger. And uh, l uh, last week, like I mentioned, we looked at this idea of unity. Um, 
This idea that unity is, is a, a high priority for us as believers. Uh, that God calls, that's unity. Today we're going to look at kind of the polar opposite in some ways. We're going to look at adversity. We're going to look at this idea of adversity. And uh, I, I know it sounds like that I'm kind of going negative, and maybe in a sense that I am. Last week we looked at a positive characteristic. This week maybe we're going to look at a, a negative aspect. Um, but adversity has a very special way of making us stronger. Billy Graham said, Comfort and prosperity has never enriched the world as much as adversity. Comfort and prosperity has never enriched the world as much as adversity has. So what is it about adversity? What is it that, that uh, triggers in you and in me as Christ followers to grow and to become stronger? I hope that you got to look at uh, the little teaser videos that we're doing prior to each service. And I got the opportunity to ride the four-wheeler up on top of, the, uh, of our mountain and do that little pre-sermon video. Um, what I went to look for, if you didn't see the video, what I went to look at is I went to look at the, the way that the trees were swaying in the wind. Uh, and I noticed also while I was up there that there were several trees that were growing right out of this massive pile of rock. I mean, there was no soil to be found, yet up comes these trees. I took a few pictures. Maybe we'll post them on our Facebook page or, or on our website. Uh, but I was struck. I was struck at the idea of adversity in the life of these trees that are up on our mountain. I was reminded of two passages in the Bible, and that's where we're going to really hang out today. These two passages in the Bible, Mark chapter 4 and Psalm chapter 62. And so if you want to grab your Bible while you're at home, on the couch, sitting in your lazy boy, still in your pajamas, go for it. I'll give you just a second. But Mark chapter 4 and Psalm 62 are the two passages we're going to look at this morning. Often in the Bible, God uses nature to teach us about himself. He'll use nature to teach him uh, uh, different aspects and, and to give us lessons about who he is. And in two different ways specifically, we're going to look at it today. The natural elements are used by God as a picture of adversity in Mark chapter 4. And the natural elements are used by God as a picture of his protection in Psalm 62. The question that we want to consider as we start is this. How do I process and respond to adversity in light of who Jesus is? Anytime that we're going to go into or we find ourselves in the midst of a trial or a tribulation or a difficult situation, the best thing we can do is to stop and ask ourselves this simple question. How do I process and respond to adversity in light of who Jesus is? That's the best question we can ask. So we wanted to start the service. We wanted to start the message this morning, actually, with that question in the forefront of our mind. Write it down. I'll give you a few seconds. You can copy it off of the, the board. I want to say this is a dry erase board. This is just a TV, but I'll give you a second to write it down. If you don't get it, uh, or if you don't have anything to write with, um, then give me a text, and I'll, uh, I'll make sure and shoot you some of my sermon notes. But how do I process and respond to adversity in light of who Jesus is. Let's turn to Mark chapter 4. Mark chapter 4, starting in verse 35. Now to set up this passage, we want to... Jesus has been teaching the crowds. He's been teaching his disciples. He's been, he's been explaining 
who, what the kingdom of God is through parables. And parables are essentially just a, a short story that brings out spiritual principles, that brings out a, a, a moral uh, uh, solution and, and gives us an idea of how uh, God is working in our lives and how God is working around our lives. And, and some of those parables are beware type parables. And some of those parables are go this way type parables. And some of, the, some of those parables are just expla- uh, expressions of who God is and how we can see him differently and, and in a more full way. But Jesus had been teaching uh, through parables and, and throughout Mark 3 and 4. And in chapter 4, verse 35, in chapter 4, verse 35, John Mark writes down this. He says, On the same day, while evening had come, he said to them, Let us cross over to the other side. Now when they had left the multitude, they took him along in the boat as he was. And other little boats were also with him. And a great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat so that they so that it was already filling. But he was in the stern, asleep, on a pillow. And they awoke him and said, said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Don't you even care? Like, so Jesus is sound asleep. He's had a busy, busy day of teaching. I can kind of relate with that. Like Sunday afternoons, really what I want to do is I want to go home and crash on the couch. I get it. So he's asleep in the bow of the boat. Big windstorm pushes up. Now these these were no uh, novice uh, guys in the boat. These were seasoned fishermen. They were used to being on the Sea of Galilee. They were used to the, the weather tendencies. And, and we have a little bit of that same dynamic here in north, uh, northeast Washington. Because what happens in, in that region, that north end of the Sea of Galilee, is when evening comes, the winds change directions. And they'll push back out of the mountains across the Sea of Galilee. And oftentimes, these violent storms will, will just jump on uh, that particular sea. And we have that same dynamic here. If you notice around the area that we live in, come sundown, the winds will start to change, uh, depending upon maybe where you live. But I know where we live, kind of at the base of, of Marble Valley, at the opening of Marble Valley, the winds will often switch directions. And that was what was going on here in Mark chapter 4. The winds had changed directions. They came down in hard and furious and brought in uh, a huge rainstorm, a huge swale, that, uh, that cr- basically made these seasoned fishermen uh, afraid. They were scared to death. They were, aren't, aren't you uh, even aware that we're about ready to die? Verse 39 says, Then he arose, talking of Jesus, Then he arose and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. But he said to them, Why are you so fearful? How is it that you have no faith? Why are you fearful, and, what, and, and how come you don't have any faith? But before we get to the rebuke and, the, and Jesus chiding his disciples, what an awesome experience to see uh, the God of the universe, the creator of the universe, perform this miracle with the natural elements, right? To stand up and say, peace, be still. I want to insert this question. It's not on the board and not in the notes, but how many times, how many times have you... Uh, experience Jesus coming into your life and just say, peace, be still. 
and everything seemed to just calm down. It's awesome. It's wonderful. I love it. I love it when God does that in my life. And I hope that he's doing that and you're experiencing that in your life. Uh, But what an awesome experience. Commanding the elements to obey. The same very elements that he created in the first few chapters of Genesis. Now he's commanding them to simply obey him. It 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 was out of this world. But it's a picture of God using these uh, natural elements to expose who he is. It's not just about power and control over the elements because he created them, but it's an expression of, of him demonstrating who he is in the lives of his followers, right? So the bigger reveal there, the bigger reveal for the disciples was that they recognized, hey, our faith is, re- uh, our fear is really big and our faith in this situation is really, really small. And you'll see the, the font on the screen is put that way on purpose. That oftentimes fear becomes really big in the circumstance that we're in. And our faith becomes really, really small in the circumstance that we're in. Guess what? God has come. Jesus has come to reverse that order. God has come to give us a picture that faith is always greater than fear always greater. Faith always trumps fear in every circumstance that we can be in as we keep our eyes on him. Amen? Verse 41, and they feared exceedingly and said to one another, who can this be that even the wind and the sea obey him? Who can this be? Now, the disciples started to get their mind wrapped around this in the right way. Who can this be? They asked, started asking that question. Maybe in the culture and the context that they're in, it would actually be better understood in, in, in this way. Who have we attached ourselves to? Who have we chosen to follow? That's, that's a sharp way to look at this particular passage. As they started to adjust in life, as they started to adjust in this situation, their attention not switched from the natural elements to the God of the universe standing in the boat with them. So who have we chosen to follow that the winds and the waves would obey him? That's probably the best way that, uh, and it's a great, these are great questions for us as we grow, as we become stronger in our faith. These are great questions for us to evaluate. These are great questions for you parents to, to share with your kids as they grow in their faith. Who have you attached yourself to? This is who Jesus is. Who have you chosen to follow? This is who Jesus is. They're great questions all throughout life. And it's a great place to be. See, the winds and the waves serve two purposes. To reveal who Jesus really is and to reveal our need for him. That's what it did for the disciples. It revealed who Jesus really was and it revealed our need for him. Now, in order to grow, let's switch, let's switch uh, metaphors for a second. Let's go back to the, to the video up on the mountain. And like I said, if you didn't see it, just envision being up in the woods and the wind's really howling, the trees are swaying, right? And uh, ladies, you're constantly trying to fix your hair, put a stocking cap on. And guys, you don't really care because the wind in your face always feels good because you... Let's face it, we all really wish we had a Harley to ride to put the wind in our face. Uh, most of us don't. So that wind in your face gives you that feeling like, uh, I'm really where I'm supposed to be. But the wind, in order to grow, 
uh, trees need a couple of things, right? Trees need a couple of things. They need water, they need nutrients, they need sunlight, but they need the wind. They need the wind. Why wind? Why is wind so important to trees growing? Wind does for <clears throat> wind does for trees what adversity does for the Christian. Let me say that again. Wind does for trees what adversity does for the Christian. It promotes root growth. What am I talking about? So here's what happens. A tree's swaying in the wind sends signals down, hey, things aren't stable, I need to shoot out roots. I need to push roots out. And uh, it's the contrast of that swaying back and forth, the winds of adversity, as it were, that causes the roots to push deep into the ground, to expand deep, and, and, and not just deep, but wide also for stabilization, and to wrap around the rocks and the boulders that are anchored into the side of the mountain so that the wind doesn't just push them over. By doing so, they find a couple of things. They find fresh nutrients. By shooting out more roots, they find fresh nutrients and fresh water. Our church logo has, if you look it up on our website, our church logo has a very similar look to it. It's all about that little tiny logo of that tree where you see everything above ground and everything below ground. It's all about roots and fruits. Roots and fruits. And as Christians, we're called to have both. We're called to have deep roots into Christ, and we're called to produce fruit in our lives. It's the winds a hundred foot up in a tree that test an anchor, that test that anchor below ground. That's what adversity does in our life. A tree responds to adversity by anchoring. So the question that we have for us today is. What is our response to those winds of adversity? What is our response? Go ahead and text it in, comment it in. What's our response when it comes to adversity? I encourage all of us this morning as we look at the natural and the spiritual to be anchored in Christ. King David gives us a great illustration of anchoring into Jesus uh, the way that a tree anchors itself into the ground and into a mountainside. Uh, we can draw some of those anchoring applications from Psalm 62. So hold on to your seats. We're going to go through these. These are all points of application as we read through Psalm 62. I want you to know ahead of time, we didn't put all of Psalm 62 up on the screen. I'll give you a minute to turn there. Uh, but we're going to put up the application points that we can see in Psalm 62. And I'd encourage you to, to turn there real quick and read along or, or grab a Bible afterwards and study through Psalm 62 because there's some great pictures of how we can anchor into God and how, we're, how King David teaches us an awesome lesson about being attached to God. All right, so here we go. Psalm 62. Let me get there. Green bookmark in my Bible. Psalm 62, truly my soul silently waits for God, for he comes, for from him comes my salvation. Verse 1, truly my soul silently waits for God, from him comes my salvation. The first point of application there that we can, that we can apply to our Christian walk is that we need to have fortitude in God's plan. 
Fortitude's this really old-fashioned word. Like probably if you're above 50, you've probably heard that word. And if you're, bel- if you're younger than 30, you're kind of like, where in the world did that word come from? But fortitude's this old-fashioned uh, word that essentially says that we're going to have courage. We're going to stick to it. We're not going to be moved. We're going to have fortitude in God's plan. That was where the King David starts off in his explanation, in his encouragement here in this psalm. Truly my soul silently waits for God. He has fortitude in God's plan. From him comes my salvation. He, is, <clears throat> he only is my rock and my salvation. He is my defense, and I shall not be greatly moved. King David has a singular focus on God's presence. A singular focus on God's presence in his life. And he has a singular focus on the dependence that he has for God's protection as his rock. Right? The singular focus. I shall not be greatly moved. In football, we, uh, when it comes to coaching sports, especially football, I, su- I should say, we have this phrase that we use when it comes to defense. And that's bend but don't break. Bend but don't break. We need to be able to be flexible So we put this into the Christian context. We need to be able to be flexible and understand that adversity is going to come our way. And there's going to be times where we need to bend, but we don't want to break. We don't want to come completely unhinged. And King David says, I shall not be greatly moved. I'm not going to be just rolled down the mountain here. God is my rock. He is my salvation. Verse 3, how long will you attack a man? You shall be slain, all of you. Like a leaning wall or a tottering fence, they only consult to cast him down from his high position, lie, and they delight in lies. They bless with their mouth. This whole section is about King David's enemies. And our enemies do a lot of things, but the main thing they do is they plot against us. They scheme and deceive, but they are about to be plummeted down themselves they're like a a leaning wall that's sooner or later is going to hit the ground they curse inwardly it says we have to be honest about the fact that we have an enemy that wants to take us out yet we have a god who is there to intercede on our behalf we have a rock jesus christ who is there to keep us solid in place and anchored into him Verse 5, my soul waits silently for God alone, for my expectation is from Him. He only is my rock and my salvation. When we're anchored into Christ, we'll understand that expectations are properly placed on Him. A lot of times we have heartbreak, we have trouble, and we have struggle because expectations are placed in the wrong spot. But King David says is that his expectations are totally on God. Totally on God. Let's keep reading. I'll reread verse 6. He is only my rock and my salvation. He is my defense and I shall not be moved. In God is my salvation and my glory, the rock of my strength and my refuge is in God. See, it's God who preserves. <clears throat> it's God who preserves us and is the point of our praise. It's God is the source of our power and the provider of our protection. 
This is who Jesus wants to be for you. This is all part of the aspects of him anchoring us to himself and then creating strength in us as his followers. Verse 8 says, Trust in him at all times, you people. Pour out your hearts before him. God is a refuge for us. Selah. God views transparency as a, as a top-shelf priority. And I keep using that phrase. I'm looking for a different way to explain it, but it is true. God views transparency in the life of believers as a top-shelf priority. God wants us to be transparent with him. And he strengthens us in the process of doing so. He is all in for us. If there's one thing that we can see in the life of Jesus is that Jesus was all in for you and for me. So he wants us to pour out our lives, pour out our lives for him. Verse 9 is kind of interesting. Verse 9 and 10 almost seem out of place, but as uh, David wrote this down, he's contrasting back and forth. Uh, Jewish poetry is all about contrast. And so it's in the course of all of Psalm 62, it's who God is and who the enemy is. Who God is and who the enemy is. So we're going to take another look uh, at, at other people, at, at the enemy, as it were. Verse 9 says, Surely men of low degree are a vapor. Men of high degree are a lie. If they are weighted on the scales, they altogether are lighter than vapor. Do not trust in oppression, nor vainly hope in robbery. If riches increase, do not set your heart on them. It's a great admonition for us as Christ followers. See, ultimately what David is saying Mankind is all alike. It doesn't matter if you have money, don't have money. None of that matters. It doesn't matter if you're being oppressed or not being oppressed, if you're poor, if you're rich. We're all essentially the same, and we're all essentially the same on the inside more so than the outside. Here's the point that we want to bring out of application, is that heart posture trumps social position. Do you see that in those verses? Heart posture, where my heart is, stunts totally trumps, not President Trump, totally trumps, it's higher than, it's greater than uh, our social position. Heart posture trumps social position. Verse 11, David goes on to say, God has spoken once, twice have I heard this, that the power belongs to God. Also to you, O Lord, belongs mercy. For you rendered to each one according to his work. God is a God of power and compassion. In your life and in my life, God is the God of power and of compassion. And God wants to anchor us, and he does anchor us. He desires to anchor. That's part of the whole uh, sharing of the gospel, is that we can encourage our neighbors and our friends and the people around us that don't know Christ. Hey, be anchored into Christ. Trust in Christ as your Savior. He will forgive you of your sins. He will lead you in righteousness. He wants to anchor you into himself and give you a a, a fresh start, a new life, as it were. So God is the God of power, and he's the God of compassion, extending mercies and mercies and mercies to us. I want to share this quote as well. The tried believer is not only abides in God as in a cavernous rock, but dwells in him as a warrior in some bravely defiant tower or lordly castle. Charles Spurgeon said that. 
David trusted in God alone for his strength. We see that not just in Psalm 62, but throughout the life of David. David trusted in God alone for his strength and for his stability. Just as if he was a tree, he trusted in God. He trusted that God would feed him, that God would care for him. We just sang a song about Psalm 23 that talks about God as a good shepherd and how he leads us to still waters, how he takes care of us and provides for our needs. That's what happens when we're anchored in Christ. That's how we can deal with adversity and have a fresh view of adversity that we don't need to avoid adversity. We need to embrace Christ through adversity. That's how we grow. That's how God uses adversity to make us stronger is when we focus on him and hold on to him and he's holding on to us. He's our rock and our rock is stronger than any adversity that we could ever face. Our rock is stronger than any adversity that we could ever face. See adversity as something that God can use to create a positive end in your story, in your Christian walk, in your situation, in your marriages, in your families, at your workplace. God can use adversity as we hold on to him and he's holding on to us. He can show us great things and he will make us stronger. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. We worship you today. We thank you, Lord, that you are a rock in our salvation. Whom shall we fear? Whom shall trouble us? No one will. Because, Lord, you have our, hand, our lives in your hands. You have our future and our families. You have our marriages in your hands. As we follow after you, as we believe in, in, and trust in what you say, as we allow, Lord, you to calm the storms of our lives, we see our dependence on you. And it draws us closer. You're saying, come closer, come closer. And you're coming closer to us in those times. So we thank you for that. We worship you for that. We share your good news because of that. We're so excited about who you are. Excited, Lord, that you call us to grow in you. And not to grow in a vacuum, but to grow where the winds of adversity help us to grow. Where the, the storms are swirling yet in you as we keep our focus in you, Lord, we do grow. We become more and more like you. We thank you for today. Lord, we pray for each one that's watching this, whether it's live, whether it's in the recorded session, whether they're sharing it with their friends, their neighbors. Lord, we pray that each one, Lord, would sense your presence today, would grow to be closer and more like you. We thank you for today, Lord. We do look forward to, to getting together as a church family. So we pray for all the events through these next few weeks, we pray for the leadership that is above us, Lord, that they would, that they would uh, hear the call of your people calling out uh, to come together and to minister to needs. We do hold them up to you, and we pray for them as your word says. We look forward to worshiping together, to praising together. We look forward to doing that together in Jesus' name. And everybody says...
Amen. Amen. We'll see you next week.